this week on the Ab Forum. Team Canada could not close it. One of the best Canadian teams of the World Juniors we've seen. And they lose in a final against USA. However, at least it means our boy Cole Caulfield got the win. So good for him. Not so good for Caden Gooley. So we're going to talk about that. Talk about the performance of Habs players. Also, at the end of the podcast, there is an interview with Marco D'Amico coming back to talk a bit more in depth about the World Juniors and the prospects. So stay tuned for that, of course. And we have lines to talk. We have actual lines from camp to talk about. The, the hockey's actually coming back in a week. Real things to talk about. Very, very excited to talk about that. There's power play lines, which are very interesting, too. The team has a lot more weapons, so we're going to see a lot of different things. Canadian signed Corey Perry, which uh, I think was a shock to pretty much everyone. I, I definitely didn't see that coming. Uh, to get a the, the kind of the original pest to play alongside uh, Brendan Gallagher. Some quotes coming out of camp, of course, and a Twitter question, because as always... At Twitter, at the Habs Forum on Twitter, ask us your questions and we'll be happy to answer them. But first, Dustin, tell me who we're sponsored by. We are the Habs Forum are brought to you by Manscaped.com. Use promo code HabsForum to get 20% off your purchase and free shipping. Uh, yeah, check out their new Lawnmower 3.0 and the Weed Whacker. Both uh, they've sent us all their products, some great stuff for sure. Uh, you know, start out like like I said last time. Start off the new year, new year, new you. You know, getting those shaved uh, shaved balls and shaved nose and all that, looking good for your significant other. And uh, and yeah, use promo code HabsForum to get twenty percent off your purchase and free shipping. Now, would you say you shave your nose or do you trim your nose hair? Uh, well, yeah, I guess it's more more of a trim. Yeah, uh, if people are shaving their nose, I mean, no judgment. I mean. We're all, we're all all unique creatures, but if you have to shave your nose, then maybe check, get that checked out. But uh, definitely check out Manscaped with uh, with our promo code. So so let, let let's get right into it. So we'll touch a bit on the World Junior uh, Championship. I mean, I th- I think you're going to talk about a, a bit more with the interview with uh, Marco D'Amico at the end. Here, a uh, good long interview. Uh, so definitely stay tuned uh, for 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 that. But still, let, let's talk about. It. I mean, the the two my my main focus, like I've talked about a lot. I mean, I love the World Juniors. It's great. It's fun. It's hockey during the holidays. I think it's the tournament, personally, I find it a little overhyped. But I'm always excited to, to watch Habs players at the tournament. The two biggest players at the tournament for the Habs were Caden uh, Gooley, the first-round pick from this year, and Cole Caulfield, the first-round pick from last year. Both made it to the final. I mean, that that was that was excited, excited, exciting to see for sure. Unfortunately, though, some people were kind of throwing some hate towards Gooley's ways. I'm, I don't know if I agree with that. I don't think he had that bad of a game. Uh, it was more of a bad team effort for Team Canada, you know? Yeah, it really didn't play that bad. And, yeah, it's, uh, we definitely touched on it, or I touched on it earlier when I when I had the interview with Marco D'Amico. Great listen, uh, or a great uh, great interview, as always. Uh, third time he's been on the podcast. Definitely, you guys, give him a follow on Twitter, at the hockey expert. Um, yeah, I mean, Gooley... And, and it, you know, and we we touched on this before, where I think being a Canadian's prospect in general, you're you're sort of a lightning rod for criticism. Oh, yeah. And and yeah, it, it it wasn't his best game, certainly. I mean, he had a couple of hiccups. That's you know, no secret. But I mean, I think like like you just said, in general, it wasn't a great effort. No, maybe not a great, not not a bad effort, but 
it wasn't a great performance by by Team Canada for sure. I think Team USA. I mean, USA, like, give props to Team USA. But I think that's what oh, you're yeah. about to say. I no. think they they just played it uh, beautifully. I mean, Team Canada was one of the most dominant teams at, at the, this tournament has seen in re, in recent years. I mean, we've seen some dominant Canadian teams, but there there seemed to be no doubt they were going to win, and people were even expecting a blowout against Team USA. But then to get shut out, I mean, props to props to the Americans. Uh, they they came prepared and and they played a hell of a game. Yeah, they they played a near perfect game. I mean, the the forwards had no, well, the Canadians forwards had no answer for what the for what their defense were doing. The can, uh, Canadian defense was really, I mean, pestered all night long by by forechecking forwards on the U.S. side. I mean, they were they, they were. I mean, it was like there was ten Americans on the ice all at all times. They were just everywhere on the ice. And I, mean, I think the U.S. Canada on paper, I think, was probably a better team, but the U.S. just played just about as close to a perfect game as they could have played. And I mean, definitely props to them. I mean. You know, Caden Gooley, yeah, he didn't have his best game last night, but I think, you know, as a whole, Caden Gooley played really well in this, uh, you know, in the whole tournament, really. Uh, but, I mean, Canada as a whole didn't play great last night, Gooley included. But, yeah, he definitely didn't deserve a lot of the hate that he was getting last night. And, and, and if you're a fan of advanced stats, a lot of the advanced stats have a lot of good things to say about Gooley's performance at the tournament, right? So uh, I, I think uh, people like to kind of, like, they have short short term memories, right? They only remember the 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 last performance, and they focus on like one specific play. But the, the general play was fine, and, and more importantly, even I think people put way too much value in how players perform at the World Juniors. We've seen plenty of players have amazing performances at the World Juniors and turn into nothing in the NHL, and the opposite has been uh, the same. The true also. I mean, the the easy example for Canadians fans to look at: Nick Suzuki didn't do anything at the World Juniors. I mean, we all love Nick Suzuki now, phenomenal NHL player already, and Ryan Paling won four of the tournament. Ryan Paling yeah. might never become a, 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 a permanent NHL player for, for how it's been going so far. So you never know; it only means so much, you know. No, exactly. I mean, I think you know you you have to take it with a bit of a grain of salt. It's, it, I mean, especially this tournament, I would say, because it's just so weird, right? I mean, a lot of these players, especially on the Canadian side. Uh, most of them are coming from the CHL where they're not playing right now. So, you know, they haven't really been able to play at all. They've basically been training at home, I guess. So they, they, they're they just sort of thrown in this tournament without much play. You know, they have, some of them haven't played in months and months. So you have to really take it with a grain of salt. It's It's a very small sample size. Yes, they're playing against the best players of their age group. But uh, but yeah, I mean, like you just said about Suzuki and Paling, I mean, it's it's yes, you can sort of get a glimpse at, uh, of their of their potential for the most part, but it's not uh, you know be end and uh, you know it's it's not the not the ultimate barometer either of uh, of future success in the NHL certainly. And uh, as far as the uh, as this is a Habs podcast, sort of has prospects goes, I mean, they even they even have that bad of a tournament, right? And Cole Caulfield maybe didn't score as many goals as we would have liked, but at the same time, maybe he wasn't used the best that he needs to be used in uh in a, in, a, in, a, in a, with his skill set, right? And at the at, at the end of the day, I mean, there's plenty of talented players on each team, so they they can only get so much. I, I'm not worried at all, and. It, it was it was it was great kind of to see the, the the best thing about even though I was obviously rooting for Team Canada, the, the the one great thing as we get older is seeing these kids 
the the way they celebrate the, the it was just even though I didn't want the Americans to win, it was kind of nice to see the huge smile on Cole Caulfield's face and the celebrations that came with it. So, I mean, it, to me, it was a great appetizer for the real hockey that's finally coming back. And I know it's, it is good hockey, don't get me wrong, but I'm a fan of the Montreal Canadiens, and I can't wait to see them play. And we have actual lines to talk about. They've they've started camp already. We're only one week away from starting, so let's... Let's look at these lines. I mean, I've been excited to see what these were going to look like. Like we've talked about before, there's been so many moves on the Canadians in this offseason. Now, the the team is separated into two two groups. There's Group A, which basically is who's going to make the team. The first line, no surprise, Tatar, Dano, Gallagher, still playing together. I mean, I don't think you're going to want to move move those guys, especially a season like this. So much change on the team. At least you have this one line that already knows they can play together. The second line, I mean, I say second line, just the second on the depth chart I'm looking at, is where it really gets interesting. Like, now you have Dwayne with Suzuki and Anderson. Now, I love to look at that line. I mean, anyone who watched the bubble hockey, Dwayne Suzuki at the end there were looking like they had a really, really nice chemi- chemistry. And then you add Anderson, a guy with size and a goal scorer, to that to that line. I'm excited to see that those guys play together. Yeah, that I'm I'm just salivating at the looks of that line. I mean, a lot of people, you know, Anderson. Obviously, there's there there are some question marks coming into the season with uh, you know the injuries that he dealt with last season. But I mean, by all accounts, I mean obviously camp is just getting started. But you know, from from people in that, that saw what uh, what was happening at camp i mean a lot of people are are really excited about what anderson's doing he looks really fast really good out there so man that's a lot suzuki with some solid forwards like drouin you know if he can bounce back and he can play like like we've seen him play in flashes and if anderson can bounce back to that uh i think 27 goal pace that he had a couple of seasons ago then man that's 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 a pretty solid line right there i'm excited to see what suzuki can do with two solid wingers and this also tells us exactly how much confidence Claude Julien has in Nick Suzuki because probably the two biggest question marks on the team because, of course, the Canadians also went and got Tyler Toffoli. We can't wait to see what he has to do, but he's more of a, of a known commodity. There's no reason to think Toffoli would would would, uh, would be any sort of question mark. You know, he's been pretty consistent in, in, in the last few years. He did well when he moved to Vancouver at the, at the end of, of the last season. Anderson only one goal last year. Dwayne, we know how many ups and downs he's had in the NH in his NHL career so far. So for for Julien to put Nick Suzuki in between those two guys, to me that tells me that that that's the confidence he has in this kid because he knows he's the type of player that can help players find their game. So Anderson comes in and gets to play with 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 the guy like Nick Suzuki, and there's it's just he's one of those players that seems to find chemistry with whoever he plays with. I, this is going to end up being the the first line for this team sooner rather than later, uh, if uh, if it really all clicks uh, clicks together. I, I I can't wait to see it, and I think it's a smart move putting Anderson there. And then I just talked about him to Foley playing with Kotkaniemi and Armia. Now Kotkaniemi and Armia have played plenty of uh, of games together. I mean they have the kind of the 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 country camaraderie to, to to go with it. But then to Foley. I love having a guy like Toffoli on Kotkaniemi's win. He's a proven goal scorer. He's done it in the NHL. He's a he's 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 a leader for Kotkaniemi to play next to. I mean, this 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 team has so much depth. I I can't. I don't know if we're blowing it out of proportion or if it's true, but I just can't wait to see him play. 
that's a really solid third line. Like that's a that's that's a third line that can de- that can score a lot of goals. I mean, Tyler Toffoli. I don't I don't know what his career high is, but it, I mean, he's definitely a guy that can score 25 goals in a regular season. Uh, Army is a guy that you can definitely score 20 goals a season. So and and those are two guys on your third line with Kutkiniemi, who I mean, if he can play the way that he played in the last playoffs, man, that's a, that's a pretty scary third line right there. And I mean, Toffoli and, and especially Army, I mean, two guys that are that are reasonably responsible defensively as well. Something that Kukinemi, you know, I, I admittedly has to work on a little bit. You know, something that he certainly did work on with Joel Bouchard when he was in Laval. And that, that that's exciting. And, and, you know, you just talked about it, the depth that, that the Canadians have right now. I mean, th- for that to be your third line, I mean, that's that's scary good. And, and, you know, we've talked about it before on the podcast. This is probably the best lineup that we've seen the Canadians have since, man, I, I don't know, <laughs> 25 years. Yeah, I was, I was on Twitter and I forget who it was. I think it was, uh, uh, Noah J- uh, Juleson, um, uh, that, that, that anyone who follows, uh, Habs, uh, Twitter, no, 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 knows, knows about him. And he, he retweeted, I think it was, it might, might not be in him, but a, a, a lineup that from, from the team from, uh, I think four years ago, and it was just, it was just pathetic. It just, it was almost hilarious to see how bad it was compared to the lineup that we have now. And, and the, the thing about that lineup is that there was very little to hope for too. I mean, you had Danu on as who was playing as a fourth line right winger on that lineup. She obviously hadn't broken out yet. Who turned out great, of course. But now you have a line lineup that looks ready to win now. Plus, you have two great young centers that should just get better and better in the middle. And then like we've, we've talked about the, the, the top three lines and I, I see them really as a one, a one B and one C like it, it's they, they on any given night, a different line could be the one that's producing for you that, that day. And then you basically have two solid fourth lines, obviously only going to dress one, but the first one we have is Byron with Evans and Lekkonen. That's a fourth line. That's a fantastic fourth line. That's that. That's a really solid line right there. And that's that's a pretty good third line, quite frankly. Exactly. I mean, you know, J- uh, Jake Evans, obviously. I mean, he's still, you know, I mean, he doesn't have a whole lot of experience in the NHL. He's proven to be a solid uh, contributor in the AHL. We'll see if he can uh, if he can keep it up in the NHL. Obviously, got up, you know, played played really well in his limited time with the Canadians last season. Hopefully, he can continue on that. But I mean, Paul Byron, you know, a guy that's that scored more than 20 goals in, the, in a season. Lekkinen, you know, I mean, he 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 has some goal scoring ability. I think 18 goals in his first full season with the Canadians. Um, you know, he's he struggled offensively over the last couple of seasons, but I mean, guys that can that have offensive potential. I think guys, you know, that can score quite a few goals. But also, I mean, extremely good defensively. We know what Lekkinen can do defensively and on the PK. Same thing with Byron, heck of a defensive player, great on the PK as well, always a threat to score shorthanded as well. And I mean, that's that's your fourth line. That could easily be a third line for you know quite a few teams in the NHL. And then you know you, you're talking about the fifth line. Who's on the fifth line? You guys, you got Pro like, League, Paling, and Perry. I mean, I'd be fine if that was a fourth line. I I mean, that'd be that wouldn't even be a bad third line either. Exactly. I mean, that's that's crazy depth, though. And I mean, and a good thing, too, to have those veterans like Froelich and Perry 
and especially you know with with paling in the middle you know we all know what what happened with paling last season during the playoffs didn't get to play because you know we don't know exactly what happened there but it seems like he wasn't didn't necessarily necessarily to take it too seriously and didn't show up in the best shape so i mean you know you know he's going to have a chip on his shoulder coming into this he's going to want to prove that you know he where you know he's might have slipped a little obviously behind guys like Suzuki and Kukinemi, but even seems to have slipped behind Jake Evans. Now at this point, he's going to want to reclaim that spot and having him between guys like, you know, two veterans, two solid veterans like Perry and for that's definitely going to help as well. I mean, it's honestly the biggest question mark going, uh, well, not going into camp, we're already in camp, but the biggest kind of question mark going into the season and the biggest potential kind of weak spot on, on this Canadians team is that fourth line uh, center position, right? Because, we have two young guys in Evans and Paling that you would hope at least one of them could get can get the job done, but neither of them has. I mean, Evans have, has looked great at, at times, and 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 Paling has had flashes, uh, of course, but then disappointed. But that's a, you really hope that one of those guys steps up. I think if one of those guys doesn't step up, then that's the that 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 that's the spot where maybe Bergerman still has a move during the season to get like a Nate, Nate Thompson type of veteran presence to to play on on the fourth line center, but. Paling can make this the like the, the the starting day lineup if if he if he performs well. I mean Evans in no way has a guaranteed spot there. It, on the wings though, the depth is just incredible. I mean we we could we could lose multiple wingers to injuries, and I still wouldn't feel that bad about what we have uh, going there. Like adding a guy like Perry, which maybe at this point of his career is not an everyday player. But let's not forget there's plenty of three games and four nights going to happen in, during this shortened season. So you, you're not going to see a lot of players playing every single game. So you're going to want to slot in players here and there. So the depth on the wing, I, I can't imagine many teams have anything comparable to what we have. I mean, maybe not the same top-end talent some other teams have, but the depth all the way down to the quote-unquote fifth line is incredible. No, de- definitely. I mean, it's, it's it's crazy. Yeah, I'm a little surprised that that, that he did, went, out, went, went out and got for a leak and Perry, you know, two wingers and didn't address the center spot. Cause like you said, I mean, Paling you know, and Evans, two guys, two young guys on your fourth line, especially Claude Julien. Typically he likes to have that veteran guy like a Nate Thompson, like we've had over the last couple of seasons. And uh, especially when Suzuki and Kakiemi are the two and three, they're so young, you know? Exactly. Yeah. It's, it, it is a bit of a surprise. I mean, maybe that's something that they'll, that they'll go out and get at some point, but I mean, yeah, they're, they're definitely not missing any depth, uh, certainly at the, at the wing position. Um, but uh, I think Byron can play a little center as well. I'm not too sure how much he's done that over the last couple of seasons, but, uh, I mean, yeah, like you said, I mean, they could lose a cup and I'm and for sure they're going to lose some, you know I mean? Who knows if if ever COVID you know hits the team or you know, once injuries start hitting the team and certainly I mean playing all these games in a short period of time you know you're gonna have to have that depth for, for sure. sure and e- even if it's not injuries it's just like I said the three games in four nights you want to give players rest and depending on who you're playing right against a faster team maybe you want Paul Byron against a bigger team you want Corey Perry right you, the, the the team has the the, the flexibility to make those moves and kind of adapt to like the type of opponent they have but i mean the big thing looking at this lineup though on top of the depth is just how much harder this team looks to play against like on one line you have gallagher and then on the second second line you have anderson and then you have guys like armia and Toffoli, and then and then like on on the fourth line you can easily slot in a Corey perry and so on any given night we could have every single line with some players that are just a 
pain to play against. Not just the skilled guys, but the guys that the teams that hate to. It's just not a team that the the, the teams that like coming into to Montreal are going to look at the roster and be like, oh, we got we have an easy night tonight. You know, we we don't have anyone uh, to to worry about tonight. There's someone on every line to worry about on this team. No, absolutely. I mean, definitely. I mean, it's four, even five lines that can score goals. And yeah, like you said, I mean, the the addition of a guy like Corey Perry, you know, adding, I mean, even a guy like Josh Anderson and obviously added to uh, the guys like Brennan Gallagher. I mean, that's it's it's going to be a tough lineup to play for sure. I mean, obviously with the defense, we all know what Shea Weber, Ben Chirac can do. Edmondson's a big guy as well. Romanov likes to throw the body around. And I mean, you have the best goalie in the world in the back too. So I mean, it's going to be—they're going to be a tough team to play against. And along with maybe the best backup in the league too, in in, in, in Allen, like the depth is there at every single position. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy. And then even in Nets, I mean, you got some depth too. You probably you got maybe one of, if not the best goalie prospect in the world, in Caden Primo. Uh, you know, they certainly got a lot of depth all over the all over the place, and, and you know. They have the assets too. If if they want to make a move, obviously it's going to be a little complicated with COVID to make a of move. Course. Yeah. But uh, but I mean they got the assets too. They got a, a just a, a bunch of draft picks. They got a bunch of prospects as well. If they want to make a move, so I mean the options are definitely there. My my question mark still remains because like we talked about the the forward depth and I mean I, I did mention there's a bit of a question mark on the fourth line center spot but if I mean that's not the end of the world and you still have both Evans and Paling and you hope one of them break out but defense which was an issue last year I, I, I'm curious to see how it's going to go so so basically the lines how they're going now is you have Sherratt and Weber starting off together I mean they had a great bubble as a duo I mean there's no surprise there that they're going to lead the way and then you have newcomer Edmondson playing next to Petrie so you don't have Kulak in that spot instead which which I, I I'm excited to see what Edmondson has to offer I mean a lot of people seem to have a lot of great things to say about him and then you have Kulak Kulak playing with Romanov there's a lot of a lot of good players there for sure, but I'm still kind of like, I, how is Romanov going to do? How is Edmondson going to play next to Petrie? I, I, it, and it's a very big back line, but not that much speed on the back end. So, in the in the modern NHL, playing against some teams like the the Toronto Maple Leafs, who have a lot of speed on offense, I am curious to see how how this the defense is is, is going to do against those types of teams, especially like we talked about in those situations where it's your third game in four nights. H- how Romanov progresses, and I know I keep saying it, it is going to play a huge huge role in how this team performs. I think how good he is out of the gate. They seem to be very confident though. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously he's on this second uh, power play unit right now, so he, uh, he obviously must be doing something right. And Claude Julien definitely seems to have you know, quite a bit of confidence in him. So, you know, I think he's going to start off like right now he's on the third pairing with Kulak. Uh, you know, he's, he's going to get every opportunity, I think, to, to, to prove himself and to step up further in the lineup. You know, I think, uh, I, I mean, I definitely think he could at, at some point and hopefully relatively quickly establish himself in, in the top four. And, and you know, what I love to see is Eric Engels today tweeted First player on the ice today, Alex Romanov. Last player on the ice today, Alex Romanov. So, I mean, it looks like he's taking this very seriously. That's the type of things that I want to read about from, from, from this kid. You know, he, he's ready to step in and do the work that needs to be done. And 
we have i forget who it was but one of the i think maybe it was josh anderson one of the players had a quote about how he, he's the hardest defenseman to play against on, on, on the team like there's no easy when, when they do those uh no, it was Tyler Toffoli. Sorry, like going up against Romanov in practice, is he says you have to earn every bit of ice with him. I mean, that's exactly what you want to hear, right? He's tough to play against, and overall, that defense is tough to play. It's just the speed that I'm wondering about, right? Is is this defense going to be fast enough uh, to to keep up? Because as it is right now, I mean, like you have got a guy that's bit, like Mete is completely off the team, right? Uh, but like, I mean, he's, he's, he's on, he's on the, the like, kind of like the, the spares, you know, but he's not set to be on the opening day lineup. So it, I don't know that it seems like a bit of a slow, slow defensive unit. So we'll have to see how that goes for sure. That's a lot of, yeah, there's definitely a lot of big guys. I mean, we know Kulak, Petrie's a, a, a pretty good skater as well. Kulak can, can move. Romanov's got, you know, one of his best assets is the skating. You know, yes, there are a lot of big bodies. They're going to be tough, tough to heart, uh, tough to play against. But I mean, yeah, they well, you know, we talked about the the depth that the Canadians have at forward and goalie. They also have def, you know a lot of depth at defense as well. You know, you just mentioned Victor Mete. They have other guys that, that obviously are not sexy names necessarily, or, or guys that that are well known, but younger guys that can definitely step in. Well, we saw Xavier Wallet. He stepped in last season. There's other yeah. guys in the system like like uh, Gustav Olofsson, Otto Liskinen, you know, guys we know like Noah Juleson, Kale Fleury. So there's a lot of depth there as well that, you know, some guys that, that are faster, Josh Brook as well, maybe, you know, potentially he's he, he's a good puck moving defenseman, good skater as well, can play on both sides. So I think there's a lot of depth there that maybe, yes, the, the main guys are bigger guys that maybe are a little bit slower, like obviously Edmondson, uh, Weber and Sherratt. But, you know, I think they, depending on who they're playing against, maybe they, they, they can move the lineup around as well. So, uh, no, I'm, I'm not too, too worried about the defense, especially if Romanov can can really step up and come into his own and establish himself into a top four defenseman. Then, I, I, I mean, I think the Canadians are, are pretty solid. I'm, I'm almost a little surprised, though, to see because Wella is part of Group A. Which would make you assume they're like kind of seeing him as a taxi squad kind of guy, along with a guy like probably like Froelich and all that. I mean, Flurry is the is the big one that I'm not seeing there, which I have liked what I've seen from from Flurry. But I guess maybe what we're seeing here is more that the depth is big. It, 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 there's more players with more depth on this team, and they don't want Flurry just sitting in the press box, and they'd rather him go play go play in Laval because right now he's in the, the the B group, which just basically looks like whoever's going to be in the AHL essentially. Yeah, well, I think that probably makes sense. I mean, the, the taxi squad, you probably want to have – you don't want to necessarily have your prospects there. No, for sure. Just sort of, you know, practicing with the team. I, I mean, I think it would be a better a better idea to have Kale Fleury as a – you know, instead of being on the taxi squad and not really doing anything, probably makes a lot more sense to uh, for him to be playing top minutes in Laval once they get started in February. Um, you know, be playing in all situations under Joel Bouchard. I mean, I think that's that's going to be the best thing for him, certainly. And and then the the, the what was really interesting for me looking at the lines because like we talked about these lines. I mean, these we've talked about the lines that we were seeing as potential lines in the past, and it, it, this kind of falls in line. This is pretty much what we all thought was going to happen. Uh, I think Eklogini is kind of on the same wavelength as a lot of Habs fans on Twitter. This is pretty much exactly what I wanted to see. From uh, from the forward lines and what I expected to see from uh, from the defense lines, the power play though now the power play is very very interesting. Now, on the first unit who we saw together was 
Drouin with Suzuki and Toffoli on a, as the forwards with Weber and Petrie on defense. And what's worth noting here is that Weber and Petrie barely played together on the power play last season. They played, I think it was about 11 minutes together on the uh, on the power play. So I think that was kind of a situation where they felt like they needed to have either Weber or Petrie at all times on, on a power play because they just didn't have that many weapons. But now because there's more weapons to put on that second unit, you have the ability to put both Weber and Petrie on the ice, which is was allowing Weber to be lower in 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 the setup. So he's set he's he's there for the one timer. He he's there to really use his shot. And instead of being stuck at the blue line, where it's so easy for the for the other team to defend against his shot. And then you have basically the the, the all the most skilled players on the you know, forwards with Dwayne Suzuki and and Toffoli. If you go look at his highlights, he's he's a true 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 goal scorer. I mean, I I like the look of that first unit on the power play because that has been a problem for the Kenny. Backup goaltending and the power play have been the two big issues hurting this team. And if if they can find a, a first power play unit that can actually perform, I mean, that's going to be a huge 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 difference for this team compared to last year's team. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's five guys right there that can, you know, put the puck in the net that are that are a threat. So the opposing teams, I mean, especially having Petrie and Weber on the same unit, the the other team isn't going to be able to solely focus on Weber and basically shut him down. You know, I, I mean, it's that's that's sort of been the story, certainly last season and, and even the season before where a team could basically just focus on Weber and and that would completely shut down the power play. So, I mean, that absolutely. That, yeah. You have to, you have to like that. I mean, for sure, Peach, you know, his Petrie can definitely shoot the puck as well. So, I mean, that's, it's going to be exciting to see, for sure, seeing those five guys together. I mean, they're, they're all guys that can put the puck in the net. So, I mean, I think, and that's just the first power play unit. They can definitely be a threat. And then, I mean, the second unit, you know, we talked about it before. They're, they're looking pretty good as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the second unit today, they had Tatar with Gallagher, Kotkaniemi, uh, and Anderson and Perry were alternating. Uh, at the same spot, so you had four four forwards, and then you had Romanov on defense. Now, the the, the first thing that I notice here that, that I love is that it, it what looks like two very different kind of because you have one with two defensemen, one with one defenseman, and the setup you're going to see might be a little bit different. What was, I felt like happened last year was the power play was so predictable. It was either running through Weber or was running through through Petrie and just both trying to take the slap shots. It was just seemed so easy to defend for the other team. But then you have this second unit that has much more firepower than a second unit. Like Gallagher's on the second unit. That's not something you usually would see on on this team. And then you have Anderson. And Dojin actually talked about Perry as someone as he sees as someone as being one of the best uh, net front presences on, on the power play. So Perry was basically doing what we're used to seeing Gallagher doing, which allowed Gallagher to do a bit more outside of being just a pest in front of the net, which we all know Gallagher can do more than just that, right? So it opens so many options for for the power play. And and, and like I said, those are the two big, big, big holes on this team were backup goaltending being completely useless, which was resolved, and the power play has been terrible the last few years. And if we think back at the, the last years when the Canadians were more competitive and made some runs in the playoffs, the, the big change that happened in Montreal is when Markov left. Markov left, and since then, the Canadians have not figured out the power play, and having a bad power play in today's NHL is just not – you're going to lose. You can't you, you can't have a terrible power play and expect to win. It's just not going to happen, and I'm loving what I'm seeing with the power play now. I mean, it's just two great lines that can definitely both score. 
Absolutely. I mean, all, all 10 guys or 11 guys that are on the on those two power play units. I mean, they're they're all threats to, to score. And I mean, I think that's a good point that you made that it's two different looks too, like two two lines that that'll probably look different and give the opposing team a different look. And I mean, it's a couple of things that, that I find really interesting about that second line is, first of all, Kukiniemi. So Kukiniemi getting some power play time, hopefully, you know, that'll help him build some confidence. I mean, that it shows that, you know, I think Claude Junior has some renewed confidence in him seeing what he did in last playoffs. You know, I mean, he was one of, if not the best player for the Canadians. So if he can hopefully, I mean, playing on the third line, you know, might, you might not necessarily get that much playing time, even though, you know, I think the, the top three lines will probably rotate quite a bit. Uh, they'll get some pretty even ice time. But I mean, hopefully this will be able to build them, uh, build some confidence. Hopefully he'll be able to put up some points on the power play as well and really get him going. And another huge point I think is having Romanov on that second unit. I mean, it yeah. just shows how much all how much confidence they already have in Romanov and 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 how highly regarded he is by by the organization. And I mean, you know, that's I think they're going to put him in every situation. They're going to give him every chance to succeed. And every chance to to claim one of those top four spots, and man, it's uh it's exciting to see those two units because I mean definitely they're two units that can that'll definitely cause some damage. And not only are they giving Romanov some power play time or like at least practice, but the fact that they're playing him on the unit that only has one defenseman, that just shows the confidence they have in him, right? Because that that that's always the the kind of uh, the risk that that you, that you take when you play with one one defenseman is that you're you're definitely opening yourself up to have more opportunities for the other team to score a shorthanded goal. I mean, we we we've definitely seen it. I mean, we've seen moments where Dwayne was playing at the point, and uh, I mean, you don't want Dwayne playing defense. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, that's that's not where he performs his uh, his best hockey. I mean, you try see him trying to defend a two on one. Uh, I think he's maybe done that five times in his entire life playing hockey. So it's not uh, exactly something he excels at. But the fact that they're comfortable having Romanov being that one guy on the back end, even if it's on the power play, I, I think that says that says so much about him. Like, I'm, I'm trying to stay reserved about Romanov. But the fact that the team itself are kind of not scared to show how confident they are in him... A, a team with 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 with, pe- with people like with Julien and Bergeron who tend to usually be more conservative when it comes to prospects, if if they're this confident about him, I, it's it's telling me that I I can be confident about him too. I mean, I'm I'm really excited to see what he brings from the get go for this team. Absolutely, I don't I don't know if it's because of how good Nick Suzuki was last year and and how much confidence that that obviously Claude Julien had. And well, especially in the tail end of the season uh, in Nick Suzuki, I don't know if that's why maybe he's he's feeling the same confidence towards Romanov and and is more open to to giving the young guys, um, you know, as uh, as as much chance as possible. But, yeah, I mean, you know, we've been hearing, you know, for the last year or two years about how good Romanov is. I'm excited to see what he can really do in the NHL with, uh, you know, in the best league in the world. He proved it in the KHL. He proved it in the World Juniors. And and now he's going to definitely get every chance possible to prove that he can do it in the NHL. And aside from that, like we've talked about pretty much every line, every power play unit. And there's really no – there's no competition here at camp for – outside maybe that fourth line center spot. But whoever doesn't get that spot is going to be probably the – like the the spare forward, but there, there's no no one that's currently on Group B that really has a chance to make this team, right? Like maybe someone on defense, but like of course if there's injuries, but 
to me, the this team is pretty much already set. There's there's not going to be any surprises, I don't think. Yeah, probably not. Well, I mean, it'll be interesting to see you know, who actually is on the fourth line. Well, I guess it will. It, it'll probably be you know a lot of rotation there. Uh, as, constant you know, rotation. As far, as far as defense goes, I mean. I don't, I mean, Juleson, I don't think, I can't see Juleson not making the team just because he'd have to go through waivers. Definitely he would get claimed, you would think. And you have to go through waivers if you're put on the taxi squad, right? I th- I'm pretty sure. Sh- yeah, you do. So, I mean, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good point. They're more likely to put Wellette through waivers than they are Juleson, I would, I would think. Yeah, I don't think they know. They probably wouldn't lose Wellette. Juleson, I would think, is it would probably get lost. Yeah, I mean, Mete probably would, would you'd probably lose Mete as well. So it's going to be, it's going to be mean, interesting. We always think we would lose someone, but I guess this year is different though, because there is a taxi squad. So yeah. teams have reasons to, to pick up players on, on, on there. Cause people were talking about uh, Corey Perry going on the taxi squad, but if he has to go through waivers, they're not going to do that. I think no way. Yeah, we should, we should probably should have checked that before. <laughs> I'm not, I'm, not now, sure. I'm, I'm pretty, I, I'm pretty sure I saw a tweet from Eric, uh, Eric Engels, who is, uh, or I was reading his article, Eric Engels, who is obviously much more knowledgeable than we are, uh, about, uh, about this stuff. And he was specifically talking about how like Corey Perry is not going to go to the taxi squad. Like people were talking about because they didn't sign him at 750 K, which is like obviously dirt cheap. To have him just go through waivers and to get to get picked up, right? So I'm I'm fairly confident. I mean, you might want to Google it, but I'm about ninety percent sure that they have to go through waivers. Yeah, yeah, I think I think they do. So yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting puzzle for sure to see how they're gonna how they're gonna work it out. You know, I mean, but you know, for for if a U.S. team was to claim one of our players, I mean, it'd probably be complicated. They'd have to go through quarantine, so maybe that would turn them off. I don't know. It's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see how it how it all works out. Yeah, I mean, uh, we'll see. But at the end of the day, I'm just uh, I, I'm just excited to, to to have it start and see what what this what this team can do. I mean, it's it's been the most the most anticipation I've had for a Canadians lineup in years, and it's they've made us wait the longest than we ever have had to wait because of COVID. So. It's just my anticipation really is uh, is through the roof for, for this team. And uh, before we move to the the, the Marco D'Amico interview, I think you had a one uh, one Twitter question. Like I said before, as always, at the Habs Forum on Twitter, ask us your questions. We'll be happy to answer them on the podcast. So, what was the question today? Uh, yeah, or on Facebook. I mean, I'm always on Facebook too. You know, you can uh, send us a message on uh, on Messenger or whatever. Yeah, on Dustin, our the only millennial still on Facebook. Really? I, mean, I feel like people are still on Facebook. Uh, anyway, all right. So the Twitter question uh, was actually a sort of a two-part question that we got from uh, longtime listener Doug Lowry. Uh, so at Lowry Doug uh, or Lori, sorry, Lowry or Lori. Uh, so uh, so he says, "Fuck yes, chomping at the bit for a new episode." What are you guys thinking? Kutki Nami will put up for points this season. Um, now, I mean, let, let's not forget we're talking about a 56-game season here, not an 82-game season. Well, let's talk about the, the pace so to make it easier, right? So what, what, what kind of like – so if I say 50 points, I mean over an 80-game season. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense. All right. Uh, so that's what you're saying? I, 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 I think I'd like to think – I'd like to see 60 points. I'd like to see him – Hit the six, that that might be asking for two, but he has to kind of hit that that breakout at some point, which, which he hasn't hit yet. 
I'd like to see him hit that kind of like maybe maybe 20 goals, 40 assist pace. Once again, I don't expect him to get that during the uh, during the lockdown, but uh, uh, during the shortened season, I mean. Uh, but yeah, like a 60 point pace, I would love to see that. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense. I mean, I, well, I, what I'm hoping for next season would be, and again, in a 56 uh, game season, I would hope for between 35 and 40 points, which I guess is probably about a 60 point pace. Uh, I mean, I think that's pretty reasonable. Like, at, you know, he had 37 points his first season. I, th- you know, he's gonna have some pretty solid line mates here. Looks like he's also probably gonna get some power play time as well. So I think 35, 40 points is pretty reasonable. I think that's that, you know, if if he hits that, it's definitely showing some solid progression. If he gets over 40 points, I mean, that's that's certainly just, you know, the cherry on the Sunday or whatever. But I mean, it, I think what you want to see from him is that he hits the ground running, that, that we continue to see the progression that we saw in last year's playoffs. And, and, and you know, just that be more responsible defensively as well. And I think, you know, if, if we can see that from him, if he can get 35, 40 points, then, then uh, well, you know, that, 40 that, that's points, be- I, I did some quick math, you know, and uh, 40 points uh, actually on an 82 game season would give him a pace of 58.5 points. So almost exactly kind of a 60 point pace. So that that that, that kind of falls in line with what we what we were talking about for, for about 40 points. I would be super happy. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that'd be great. And I think, you know, I, I definitely think it's realistic. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see, we'll, we'll see how the line shape up, how much time he is going to get on the power play on that second unit. But yeah, I mean, I think if, if he plays the way that he did in the last playoffs and then, then certainly it is, it is possible. And then what about uh, Suzuki? I know that wasn't part of the question, but what about Suzuki, right? Could, could you see Suzuki? Cause I mean, people talk about the sophomore slump, but also, I don't think he's going to have a sophomore slump because I think he's just one of those guys that looks like he's ready to play a big role in the NHL. I mean, do you think we might see Suzuki be a point per game this year? Or is that too early to say that? Ah, man, it's, it's going to be tough. Um, you know, especially because I think they're going to, the, the top three lines are probably going to be pretty even. So it's not like he's going to be playing, you know, 25 minutes a game. But I mean, he's gonna have some solid lines. Sol- I mean, they're gonna be even unless one line really <laughs> stands out, right? Like, if ten games into the year you have the 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 um, the Suzuki line, but with with Drouin and Anderson just just killing it every game, then they're gonna be playing a lot more in those in those big minutes. And just with how we saw him play, I mean. Hey, 50 and 56 wouldn't quite be a point per game, but it'd be pretty darn close. And if we're saying 40 for for Katkinyemi, I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked to see 50 for for Suzuki. That's for sure. Yeah, I'd I'd be hoping for 45 to 50. I mean, if he can hit that, then that 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 would be awesome. That'd be great. Um, so I mean, I think I think it's definitely re- reasonable, especially with you know two two really solid wingers. At least you know if they play the way that they can play in Dubois and Anderson. And you know, obviously, he's going to be on the first power play uh, power play unit as well. So yeah, I mean, I think 45 to 50 points is doable. And if he can hit that, man, that's uh, that'd be fantastic. Um, and then the follow up question here, um, again from uh, Doug uh, Laurie. Also, uh, would you guys consider trading trading KK for Dubois? Uh, he says, I sure as hell wouldn't. I think KK's ceiling is higher than Dubois. Kind of think Dubois is overrated, in my opinion. Um, so Dubois, of course, I mean, he just re-signed, I think, yesterday with the Blue Jackets. 
seems to be a bit of uh, a bit of um, uh, I don't know issues there between him and the Blue Jackets. So he doesn't uh, doesn't seem to be uh, wanting to play in Columbus. Uh, so I, I obviously, any time that, that that happens with a Quebec-born player, then the Montreal media are going to be uh, after Bergevin to try to go out and get him. Uh, I think it would take a lot more, first of all, than Kukinemi yeah, to get. He, him. He, he, that's the thing. That's the thing. It, it's hard to even consider one for one because it's just not. That's just not what it's going to cost, you know. But I I do find Dubois very interesting. I mean. The thing is, is that apparently the reason he doesn't like Columbus is he wanted he, w- he wants to play for a big market. Now, if you were telling me that the one of the best young French Canadian talents wants to play for a big market, and if that means he wants to play for the Montreal Canadiens, I mean, we don't see those types of talents coming out and saying they come out of Quebec and then saying they want to play for the Canadiens. I would be very excited to see him put the the Habs jersey, but I don't think I'd be willing to pay what they were gonna what they're gonna want to get for him. I mean. It just no exactly. I mean, uh, Dubois. I mean, he's he's still young. I think he's 22 years old. He's he has a lot of potential for sure. He he definitely could be. You know, in a, you know even even as early, as early as this season, he could be one of the top players in the NHL. But I don't think he's really proven it yet. I mean, we're not talking about going out and getting uh, you know Austin Matthews, Matthews or Patrick Laine, even a guy that scored 40 goals in in a season. You know, so I I definitely wouldn't be willing to give up. Is it, I mean, if you were to go out and get Dubois, you're definitely trading Kukinami or maybe even Suzuki. You're probably giving up one of your top prospects like Caulfield and Gooley and a first round pick and and probably maybe even more than that. So I definitely don't think it's realistic. Um, no. You know, I think right now the Canadians are pretty basically at the the salary cap. I think they might even be a little bit over. Um, so they wouldn't even be able to do this. And I think the Canadians at this point, they want to try I mean, and, and this is just the reality of the salary cap in the first place. And certainly even more so right now with the current situation, who knows what's going to happen with the salary cap over the next few years, you want to keep those young guys on the, you know, uh, friendly contracts, team friendly contracts and under your control as long as possible. So no, it, it definitely doesn't make sense. Uh, I, I was kind of Googling just to see what kind of rumors are out. And I actually, I'm kind of surprised because I fell on this uh, this uh, article from this, uh, it's called First Ohio Battery, the website. And so obviously it's it's a Columbus kind of centered article and they're talking about what his trade value is. And the, the, the last one they have is, uh, and I was expecting them to be asking for way too much. But the player that the that they have here, the players they have as as part of the the core of the trade, and they do add a few picks and prospects to it, are Philip Dano and Caden Gooley. And they actually talk about how like Dano is exactly the type of player they would want. That's interesting. But then you you'd have a Montreal Canadian team with a very 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 young center uh, center depth. But uh, I find that a lot more interesting if you're able to get that a guy like him and not have to move. Uh, uh, Kutkinemi or Suzuki. I mean, now we're talking uh, very, very interesting for sure. But obviously, this guy's just a random uh, blogger yeah. for Columbus. But I was expecting the Columbus blog to be asking for the moon for him. But I mean, it actually seems like kind of a reasonable ask from what I can see here. Well, I, I mean, I thought, yeah, I, I, it would have. I, I can't see Columbus doing that, trading. Uh, you know, they're maybe their best young player for, or one of their best young players for. Yeah. No, I mean Philip Deneau is very good, but I mean, no, it would have to take a lot more than that. I would think you, you know, you'd be trading definitely 
Kokinemi Suzuki or Suzuki and then plus. Um, so yeah, but if you could somehow do it for Dano, then definitely I'd be down for that. I mean, the, what they're saying is Dano Guli, uh, the first round pick next year, and uh, like another prospect. They don't even say what uh, what other prospect. I mean, hey, if they want to do that, I'm listening. I'm listening for sure. Oh, and for uh, sure. yeah, the, 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 that's that's completely different there. But uh, I don't think that that's realistic. I'm just I'm just kind of surprised to see that kind of offer from. Uh, from a, an Ohio-based uh, website, and like the other offers they're talking about, are they they're they're asking for like Barzal or or, uh, or Liney, which which kind of makes sense because there's also players that there's rumors around them for, uh, for 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 trades. But I mean, trades are always exciting. At the end of the day, though, it's probably not going to happen. But I mean, who knows? Maybe we finally have a guy that once he hits you free agency, he's going to want to come home. Maybe he's our our John Tavares. But now nah, we we still have a at least like six, seven years to, to wait before that happens. But I mean, if he does want to play Montreal, at least I like hearing that we have at least one French Canadian player that actually does want to come play in Montreal outside of, uh, of Drouin, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I would definitely, definitely love to see him with the, with the Canadians. I mean, uh, probably not going to happen. Uh, well, at least not this season, but uh, I mean, who knows? Maybe in the off season, uh, depending on how he plays, maybe a deal can get done, but uh I mean, all I, I look forward to talking about these rumors for the next seven years. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> but for the meantime, I mean, I, I'm happy enough to just talk about hockey and hockey coming back next week. I mean, can't, I still can't believe it. Now, I know. I mean, it's a, it, it's funny because we were just watching the – well, I, I was just watching the, the press conference here in Quebec because we're going on – uh, for those not in Quebec, Quebec is going on a, not only a lockdown, they're getting a curfew, uh, 8 p.m. And I, mean, I, I don't, I don't want to get all political about uh, what, what what that means. But one of, one of the questions was about how like uh, why are they letting the, the the Canadians play but giving everyone a curfew? And I I don't care. Okay, I want to watch hockey. Okay, if I'm gonna have a curfew, at least let me watch hockey. I I, I get it that it doesn't make sense in in some ways to allow them to play, but. And, and I, I kind of love that that's what the premier said. He was like, I think Quebecers need the Montreal Canadiens right now and need to be able to watch hockey. And I'm all for it. I can't wait to watch them play. And I know they're going to take – the NHL is going to take all the precautions. I, they, they proved it in the bubble, right? It, it, it worked. Uh, there was basic, there was no cases, if I'm not mistaken, in the bubble. I mean, it's a bit more complicated with the travel for the season. But uh, I, I'm just excited to get it started, like uh, like you said. And it's only a week away. So we were talking before the pod. We're probably going to do another episode. So the season starts on next Wednesday, exactly a week away. So we're going to try and, uh, and release a kind of a season preview, uh, give a bit of our predictions on uh, on Tuesday. Look out for uh, for some uh, for tweets from Dustin asking for your input. We'd love to hear what you think uh, your predictions are. Uh, are for uh, for the season, and of course we'll uh, we'll give ours. We should we should go back at last year's predictions and see how far off we were. I'd be curious to see. Uh, yeah. But uh, what? Yeah, we should definitely do that. Yeah, we could take a look at that. Obviously, got a little screwed around there with with COVID, but uh, definitely. But definitely, but uh, anyway, so that does it for uh, for us today. But of course, like we said at the beginning of the podcast. Stay tuned. Interview with uh, Marco D'Amico. I mean, if if you're on uh, Habs Twitter, you've definitely uh, seen him uh, pop up talking about the Habs. He's, he's a fantastic follow. You should definitely follow him. And uh, great listen uh, once again. Interview with uh, with Dustin. So uh, stick around for that and uh, uh, check uh, at the Habs Forum on Twitter to know when the next episode drops. Thank you for listening. 
I'm here with Marco D'Amico from scrimmageandstats.com. Marco, thank you very much for being with us today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. So first things first, I mean, obviously on, the, on, on all our minds here in Canada, the, uh, the loss, unfortunately, last night to the U.S. What did you think about the game? Uh, I mean, it was a, it was a good, hard-fought game, I found. Um, I think that, uh, you know, we, a lot of people like to poke fun at Spencer Knight during the tournament, but I think we saw the potential of Spencer Knight yesterday and just completely owning a game. Um, the American defensive structure as a whole, I found, was better. They were better at, at pushing the play. They were better at possessing the puck, getting it in deep and sustaining pressure. So that's a recipe for victory, generally speaking. Um, I think also you, you kind of saw Canada kind of get discouraged after that second goal and really just the wheels kind of fell off. Um, my only thing, like, I kind of wish that Andre Tourney would have kind of been in desperation mode. I understand shortening your bench, but I would have also started trying, you know, maybe Cousins with Byfield or, you know, New Hook with McMichael and, and, and see if those combinations would work. But fortunately, uh, it did not. <laughs> Yeah, no, unfortunately, I mean, you know, they, the the defense played really well. I thought. I mean, the forwards, you know, they they really didn't didn't show up. I mean, like like you said, I think it, it could have been a lot better if maybe they would have shook up the lines a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, but I mean, I think at the end of the day, the U.S. they played pretty close to a perfect game. And Spencer Knight, I mean, you know, there, there's a reason why he's one of the best prospects uh, as far as goalies go. Um, yeah, I mean, and and why he was a first round pick last well, not last year, but the year before by the uh, by the Panthers. Uh, I think one guy that got at least on Twitter, uh, maybe Habs Twitter, you know, got a lot of flack that I don't, I certainly don't think was deserved was Caden Gooley. What what did you think of his game last night and all tournament? Um, so I think I can answer those questions separately. I think it's fair to say that he had instances last night where he was beat. And, and quite frankly, for a defenseman that's been uh, so uh, error-free throughout the tournament, um, it's kind of normal to see that at 18 play against, like, you know, he looked at Chicago's overall pick, and the only way he was able to, to free himself momentarily was to the that resulted in a goal. So those are hard to defend in any situation. Uh, if you look at Dayton Gould's statistics in the rush defense, absolutely off the right. In fact, they had to... Saying something for a guy that was playing on average fifteen to sixteen minutes a night. 
Yeah, I mean, definitely. Like you said, he he certainly had his struggles last night, but uh, you know, tournament. I, I mean, I think all of Canada basically, you know, struggled pretty pretty hard last night. I would say outside of Devin Levy, but the tournament as a whole, he definitely played really well. And especially Canadian defensemen, you don't often, or at least too often, see eighteen year old defensemen. And he played, you know, he played pretty well. And and certainly next season, he's going to play, well, probably a pretty big role for Team Canada. So, uh, yeah, I, I definitely think he got more flack than he deserved. Uh, and another, well, another, yeah, uh, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Marco. No, he's a Habs prospect. That's like a lightning rod of attention, right? Exactly. That's what you're going to get. But at the end of the day, I need to, you know, King Gooley is, is not going to be the kind of guy that's going to, you know, Drysdale or Bowen Byron his way out of a problem. We saw instances of him being able to get rid of, of the pressure and then escape the puck out himself yesterday. But where I find that all of Canada struggled was his lack of puck support from the forwards to the defensemen when it came to zone entries, and that's why the United States kept pinning them in their zone. At least Caden Gooley was one of the only defensemen last night that was able to get the puck out under pressure. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, they they, they really didn't seem to have much uh, much answer for the U.S. forwards. I mean, the U.S. forwards, I mean, they, they were... I mean, forechecking like crazy. They were everywhere, exactly. They were struggling all night to get the puck out of their zone, and it seemed like they were on their heels the whole game. Um, yeah, so Caden Gould, I mean, definitely, you know, he, uh, he he was a bit of a lightning rod last night for criticism. And another guy that has gotten some criticism as well, I mean, you know, because he has maybe didn't put up the points that a lot of Habs fans thought he would put up in the tournament was Cole Caulfield. What did you, what did you think of Cole Caulfield, not just last night, but as a tournament? Um, well, I mean, I'm disappointed in the outcome. I was expecting a point per game or more in terms of output. I was also expecting him to play with Zegers and Turcotte, though. That's kind of that's kind of the idea at the moment. I kind of saw the way the lines were breaking down. You kind of already knew. Um, unfortunately, and, and you know, praise to, to Matt Beniers uh, in terms of his transitional play. The guy is excellent. Uh, there simply was no chemistry between he, Boldy, and Caulfield. None. Uh, but I think maybe they have maybe together that one five on five goal throughout the entire tournament. The rest of Boldy and Caulfield's points on the same at the same time came on the power play. So it goes to kind of show you that the chemistry simply wasn't there. And again, we have talked about this a little bit before the show, but there was this serious inability to mix things up and, and see if things worked because the US, other than their first game against Russia, went completely undefeated. So they didn't want to shake anything, especially on the power play as well. What I didn't like on the power play is putting Cole Caulfield as a decoy in the bumper position so that Arthur Kaliev, who's already a big body capable of getting a shot off rather quickly, uh, could have a cleaner shot uh, in the left circle. Obviously, it worked out because <laughs> Kaliev scored twice. Um, but I think if you're going to utilize a guy like Cole Caulfield in a power play situation, or in any situation for that matter... For him to be effective, you've got to get the puck on his stick. Whether it be distributing the puck like he's done so well this year at Wisconsin, or that it be shooting the puck like we know he can do so well. Uh, holds the uh, tournament uh, uh, record for the U18s in terms of goal scoring. That wasn't by chance. So, in my opinion, he's got to continue to work on things. But what I saw from Cole Caulfield this year versus last year, uh, significant improvement in the smaller details. Uh, and I think that those are going to be more telling to his NHL future career than his stat line. Yeah, well, I think that's a good point. I mean, certainly, like you mentioned, it's, it was sort of a, a, 
a little bit disappointing as, as far as a points perspective goes. You know, I definitely would have liked to have seen a point per game pace from him. But like you said, he wasn't necessarily put in the best position by the coaches either. And and I and definitely a, a huge positive is the the emphasis on defensive play. I mean, he's definitely looking a lot more responsible out there. And you see it this season so far in Wisconsin. He's he's been great so far. When do you think you you think maybe he'll be signing with the Canadians? Do you think he'll be maybe with the Rocket or even with the Canadians next season? Or or how long do you think before we see him uh, in the uh, Bleu Blanc Rouge? Well, uh, I think he'll be with with Laval by the end of his NCAA year. I think uh, I think we all can see uh, where that program is going. I don't see Dylan Holloway staying in Wisconsin past this year either. Uh, I think he'll be signing with Edmonton, probably either joining their roster or going to Bakersfield next year or Springfield, depending on who their AHL team is going to be. So I also expect Caulfield at the end of his NCAA season that it be at uh, the mid-March point like it was last year or that it be in April. Uh, I, I foresee Paul Caulfield signing with, with Montreal. Now, depending on what Montreal is doing, uh, I would prefer, strongly prefer, that he go to Laval. Um, not because... I think he's that far away. I, th I think he's. I think maybe a year in the AHL might do him some wonders. But we said the same thing about Nick Suzuki, and for me, I think a guy like Joel Bouchard would be ideal in helping Cole Caulfield continue to build on the good habits that Tony Granato has been helping him kind of cultivate while he's been at Wisconsin. Because for me, uh, and I don't know if anybody who hears this will kind of go back and look at the tape. But I saw a Cole Caulfield that was more implicated, more explosive, more you know defensively aware. Not necessarily more defensively effective, but defensively aware. He was always back on the back check uh, to help his defense. I really liked what I saw in his overall game. I just wish that we could have seen more of his transitional and and offensive skill in terms of you know being able to distribute the puck because that's what he's really become in Wisconsin is the distributor of the puck and not just the scorer. Um, so I'm kind of hoping he can transition that to Laval. De definitely. I mean, I think that makes sense. He's definitely taken, you know, a, a lot of positive steps over the last season. And I think, you know, a year, maybe even two under Joel Bouchard could definitely do him wonders. And I don't think it's, it, you know, I, d I don't think the Canadians are in any rush to have him in Montreal either, especially with the recent additions of Josh Anderson and Tyler Toffoli. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely think that makes sense. Hopefully maybe nearby, uh, near the end of the season, maybe we'll see him in Laval. Uh, and then, of course, the Canadians had one final prospect at the World Juniors, Ian Mysak, cap, uh, captain of the Czech team. What it, obviously not the, he wasn't on a great team. Not uh, he definitely wasn't playing for the U.S. or Canada. But what what did you see from Ian Mysak? Um, I really enjoyed Mysak's uh, very kind of cerebral game. Um, anybody who kind of watched him was getting Thomas Plakanitz vibes. Um, obviously not as, as great a skater, although Placanis wasn't the greatest skater at first either. Uh, but definitely uh, a very intelligent player, a very deceptive shot. Um, but really, I think his, his main asset is his hockey IQ. He's just another very smart player that the Habs are really kind of focusing on. Uh, same kind of style mold as Nick Suzuki. Uh, just doesn't necessarily have the, the high and dynamic skill. Uh, but very, very responsible, can play left wing, can play center. Uh, I really like what he did uh, for the fact that he's been pretty much everywhere. Uh, and this is an 18-year-old who played last year, who's likely going to play next year for the Jacks. 
uh, whom got a rather young roster this year, and they're all going to be a year older next year. So it's going to be pretty interesting to see where the checks are at because Mita could be part of something pretty special. Um, and, you know, depending on what happens with the OHL, we, we actually, he might actually have to sign an entry level deal and, and report to the as well because we don't know what's going on with the OHL with, with these lockdowns. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, well, that, that was going to be uh, that, that was going to be my next question. I mean, yeah, the Q is sort of playing. Uh, you know, I mean, there's there, there's some games they're doing uh, different bubbles, but the OHL and WHL doesn't look like it's going to be starting anytime soon. Uh, that could change, of course, but uh, I mean, COVID not uh, not improving at this point. Do you think so? The 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 possibility has been raised that potentially we could see Mysac and Gooley playing for Laval. What uh, what do you think about that? Um, first of all, what a time to, to be alive for the for these guys. They would <laughs> under no circumstance have any access to this in, in, in a regular setting. But because the CBA does state that if their leagues are not in, in order, if, they're, if there's, you know, like, when, for example, at the end of a, a season, say uh, a junior player's team doesn't make the playoffs, he's already signed his NBA-level contract, he can be assigned to the American Hockey League team of the team that owns his rights. Under, uh, we call it an amateur trial. Now, in, in, in Gooley's case, because the WHL hasn't even started, the same rule applies because his league isn't in function. So he can be assigned to the AHL. He's actually en route to Montreal as we speak. We'll quarantine and be part of the Val Rockets camp. Now, Musak is a little different because he hasn't signed his NBA contract yet. So we're waiting to see what happens uh, with him in Hamilton. Should the OHL um, continue, because already they discussed that there was going to be no hitting this year, should the, the OHL further uh, deteriorate uh, the quality of competition as many of these players, the top players especially, are kind of moving to European options for playing time, I think it wouldn't be outlandish for the Canadians to sign Mishak and put him in Laval. Um, but one of one thing of note, if, if these kids were to play in Laval, be, they, be it Misak or Gouli, they would have effectively signed their contracts as of their 18 years of age, which means that they could play as many games in the AHL and their contract would slide. It wouldn't start until they played 10 straight games or 10 games in the NHL or reached the age of 20. So there's no risk in doing this and nothing but benefit. Absolutely. I mean, do you think it would be... Like, if you, if you could decide what would be best for their progress, would you say them playing, now obviously it's not really an option at this point, but do you think it would be better for them to play in the AHL as opposed to the OHL or WHL? Um, well, if, I think that's a two-sided question per prospect. I think mm-hmm. in Misak's case, he's been playing against men his whole life uh, in the Czech Extra League. Um, so he, he kind of knows what it is to, to, to play against men, that tempo, the physicality. To a degree, and I think that's what made him so successful in the OHL right off the bat when he came over last year this time. Um, but definitely a guy who's intelligent enough to adapt quickly and listen to the to, to the teachings of Joel Bouchard to improve himself rather quickly because he saw significant improvement in his game. Coupled with his young age, it's one of the main reasons why he shot up the, the draft right for so many people. Now, Keaton Gooley is an interesting option because... He's going to turn 19 at the end of this month. Um, he's a very strong, bulky guy, put on about 20 pounds of the, the, the pause. So he's already more physically ahead than most prospects drafted in June by this time because he had so much time to, to work on his on his physical development. So 
usually with prospects, the patience comes because of the physical development. We've seen this with Pacquiao. I think a guy like Bully would benefit, now that he's there physically, would benefit from the quality of competition since he is going to be a more of a rush-killing defenseman, a very kind of transition-heavy defensive defenseman. I think that playing against guys with a higher tempo might actually push him to get better faster. Even if it's for five or six games and then he goes back to the WHL or if he stays with the Rocket the whole year, that works too. But I just he's got nothing but games to, to get in the AHL. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, anything's better than what he's doing now, right? I mean, just uh, well, oh, working yeah. out at home. So any any sort of game time that he can get, obviously, is going to be a positive for him. Um, so uh, you you just mentioned Kucky Niemi. Uh, so obviously, I mean, the Canadians are going to rely. I mean, there's a lot of new players coming in, but there are some significant young players that they're going to be relying on. Of course, Kakaniemi and Suzuki, we saw what they could do last season, especially Suzuki all season long. Kakaniemi, we saw what he can do in the playoffs. And then, obviously, Romanov coming over. Uh, what do you expect from some of these young guys next season? Uh, well, I, I'm kind of expecting Suzuki to pick up where he left off. I think, um, you know, I've, I've, I've gone on record for saying this. I feel like Max Domi dragged down Nick Suzuki as he was taking off as a top-six center. And you kind of saw at the moment they removed Domi from Suzuki and made them both centers that Suzuki took off in the playoffs, for real. And and that's where everybody's kind of, you know, oh, Suzuki is the number one center of this team. So it already got a lot of people thinking, right? The same kind of applies with Kakaniemi. Kakaniemi uh, had a strong start to the playoffs, uh, was physical, was all over the place, but still... The same issues uh, were at hand, and that was the lack of quality of depth on the third and fourth lines, especially when it came to wingers. I felt like, yes, they controlled the play, but there just wasn't enough scoring punch. The addition of a guy like Tafoli definitely changes the deal. Having a, you know, a guy like Corey Perry or Mike Belfrolli um, that can kind of come in and, and assist on that will also aid them uh, and also guide them uh, into you know being a better pro and, and, and you know learning better habits. So I'm expecting... You know, a, a significant rise from these two kids, and, and they're kind. They kind of know it. And if you paid attention to Kakaniemi while he was in Finland, he didn't start off too strong. Uh, it's a little difficult uh, when you're 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 that raw, and you you come into the middle of a season like the like in Liga. They had already started for a month, and then Kakaniemi just pops into the team. First two three games, he was trying, kind of getting his tempo back. You, you saw he was a little gassed already by the second period. The last six games of the season, he had seven points. He was over a point per game, dominating physically, sending people over the boards, winning face-offs, quantities of setups. Uh, I'm expecting a similar kind of of adaptation once he starts. He may not get five points right out of the gate in the first five games, but I'm certainly expecting his pace to pick up as the season goes on, um, hopefully maturing into a top-six center. I, I mean, I definitely agree. I mean, the Canadians are definitely going to be uh, very reliant on both those young guys. Suzuki, I mean, I think he proved what he could do all season long last season, especially at the end and, and certainly in the playoffs in Kakinami. Hopefully we're going to see the uh, the playoff version of Kakinami this season and not the not the Kakinami that got sent down to Laval near the end of the season. But uh, So this sort of ties into one of our Twitter questions that we got from uh, one of our listeners, Doug Lowry. Uh, he he asked, how many points do you expect from Kakinemi this season? Man, that's tough because first of all, it's a fifty game, a fifty six mm-hmm. game uh, schedule. So I gotta like, I, I gotta prorate whatever I give you. 
Um, I, I'm the kind of guy that doesn't kind of worry about the points necessarily, obviously, until it gets to the playoffs. But uh, I feel like if Kakanyemi is able to on a 50 game, 56 games, so like I guess a third off, um, you know, if he can get to somewhere like 15 goals, um, you know, 20 assists, uh, you're definitely getting into that 50 point range. I think you've reached top, you know, top six center status by that point. If you can get close to that, uh, I know that people are going to be like, well, he got 34 points in 69 games. And like, okay, but now let's, now let's try to do it as a top six center while being defensively responsible and not being as sheltered as he was as a rookie. Let's see him play against, you know, the top uh, day in, day out in a very condensed schedule. Um, so anything for me in the 35 to 40 point range would just be insane. Uh, because that would show significant progression and the kind of doubts that people have in terms of Kakanyemi's development easily quelled. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, that was exactly what I was thinking as well. Thirty-four or thirty-five to forty points. I mean, I think that would be that would be a great start. Uh, anything more than that would definitely be you know, a cherry on the Sunday. But I mean, I think at the end of the day, what what you really want to see is, I mean, again, he's going to be on the third line probably at least to start off. Even though, I mean, I think yeah. the Canadians they're gonna they're gonna have you know balance their lines pretty well. But uh, you know, you, you I think you want to see from him a continued effort defensively that we saw last season, well, or at least in the playoffs. So yeah, you just want to see that continued progression. Definitely. And uh, another question that he had, I mean, we know that uh, Pierre-Luc Pierre Dubois just signed with the Blue Jackets. Seems to be a bit of a rocky relationship there. Uh, some of the Montreal media have suggested maybe the Canadians should go out and get Dubois. Uh, would you trade Dubois straight up for Kukinyemi? I mean, I, th I think it would take a lot more than just Kukinyemi probably, but would you do it? Um, it depends what the plus is, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's always going to be that, but I mean, to all and I and I state this to everybody, to all those people looking at Pierre Luc Dubois and what he did in the playoffs and anointing him a number one center, uh, you know, there's a certain left winger that everybody likes to hate on in this city that was acquired after a very strong playoff showing, uh, and his name was Jonathan Drouin. Now I'm not saying that Pierre Luc Dubois is going to necessarily fail to live up to expectations as much as Drouin did, but I feel like anointing him a number one center uh, maybe a little too early for a guy who was trending for 55 points. I mean, Philip Deneau, who's a defensive center, was trending for the same amount of points. So I wouldn't necessarily sell the farm for Pierre-Luc Dubois. I feel like that's being kind of propagated because he's a guy, he's from here, and there is a precedence in terms of the Canadians' interest in, in regards to that player. Um, but... To me, I feel like for the first time in a long time, Canadians fans can both look forward to the present and the future, and I think that this would be a very wrong time to give up on Kakaniemi. Um, if we're talking at the end of the season and we haven't shown progress, uh, well then, yeah, then you can definitely have a conversation because then, you know, the rhetoric becomes perhaps Kakaniemi needs a change of scenery uh, to play consistent to top six minutes, and that's where maybe a guy like Kekalainen can be phoned up because I don't think the Dubois situation is going to be fixed imminently. I think that he's going to have to hold on for a little bit, just like Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, I think, you know, Kukinemi, um, you know, he, he definitely has a lot of potential. I mean, Dubois certainly as well. He's still a young player as well. He showed 
some potential, but again, like you said, he didn't really necessarily do it over that long of a period of time. So I think, you know, I, th- I think probably at this point, I mean, the Canadians have a heck of a lineup here. I, don't, I can't remember the last time the Canadians had this good of a lineup. Certainly not, uh, you know, not over the last decade or even the last two decades. So, I mean, it's, it's an exciting time, and I don't think they necessarily want to make any changes and go out and get a guy like Dubois, especially with Kukinemi. He doesn't have a big contract right now. He's under, you know, control with the Canadians for, I don't know, I guess, Brad, like the next five or six seasons. So probably not the, not the best time to do that right now. I wouldn't think so, and I feel like, you know, we've been clamoring for years to have a, a club that spends to the cap. Uh, not only have they spent to the cap, they're doing cap gymnastics now. So I, these guys on cheap deals that can be controlled, control them as long as you can and exactly. keep them. That's, that's the point. But I would also like to sprinkle a little a little bit of caution. I would not trade Kakanyemi in any way, shape, or form until the uh, full the, the situation is dealt first. And, and that that's for me like if you're gonna if you're gonna start looking to trade a young top six center and potentially in the making uh, that you have to third overall you've got to ensure that your top six center positions are, are covered or else you're simply just doing the same mistake that montreal gms have been making for the last 25 years that's definitely a good point i mean we we don't know exactly what's going to happen with dano um any thoughts on what you you think is going to happen with dano I mean, it really depends on the season. I, I got to tell you, I mean, he's got to be put in a situation where he can, a little bit of like the way Lars Aller was utilized or is being utilized uh, in Washington right now. Um, and that is a player that gets, you know, an even amount of, you know, five and five minutes, some power play time and some penalty kill time so that it averages out that three centers on the team all wind up playing 16 minutes or more. I think that was blunt. He wants to be in a situation where he can win, have minutes, and still express himself offensively. Uh, so, if Kakaniani is able to reach that point, and that's when the conversation has to happen with Phil Deneau. If Kakaniani doesn't reach that point, well, then Phil Deneau is your de facto number two or one B with Suzuki, and then you've got to, <clears throat> you got to figure out what to do uh, with a guy like Kakaniani. And so, this is a puzzle piece that I feel will be best. Uh, figured out by letting these three centers play the season because it could so happen that Kakaniemi is just lights up right out of the gate and they have no choice but to put him with Gallagher and Suzuki, uh, Gallagher and, and, and Thomas Tatar uh, to see if, you know, even better line mates than what is currently being uh, projected uh, are available and how that would affect his offensive output. And then there's also the power play. If Kakaniemi can express himself on the power play, Will, will that, you know, bring confidence to his 5-on-5 five five game as well? So, a lot of things to look at. So many questions to answer this season. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and obviously, the, ne- the the next question, of course, is Romanov. Huge expectations for him. Uh, I mean, I, I can't remember a prospect coming in with higher expectations. Uh, and so Well, yeah, I, mean, yeah, I guess Subban. <laughs> but uh, what, do you, what do you expect from Romanov? Um... Honestly, the same thing I expected from Subban. Um, just probably better defensive play. But uh, for those that don't kind of, if you know, just scrolling back on memory lane, Subban started with the Canadians in the playoffs after a really solid AHL season, came in, looked really good right off the bat, small sample size, fine, and then started the season. I feel like Romanov is kind of in that situation, although he didn't get to play in the playoffs, but he was around the team in the playoffs. And we saw videos of him in the KHL. We've all seen his World Junior Championship 
you know, performances. He's not necessarily an offensively dynamic defenseman, so I don't have the points expectations that I necessarily had for Subban. But I honestly think that by the end of this season, Romanov will be a top four NHL defenseman for the Montreal Canadiens. I feel like this is an individual that has done nothing but absorb knowledge wherever he's gone and consistently just gotten better. Uh, he has all the tools to be effective. Uh, not listed at six foot two hundred and eight pounds, uh, which is um, pretty insane considering they drafted him at five ten. <laughs> so he's a fifteen pounds over the last year and a half. So another heavy boy, very quick skating. Um, so what you're going to see from Romanov is going to be akin to a Brett Pesci uh, in in Carol. Effective and not as flashy uh, as some of the defensemen that we've seen coming out, uh, such as the Quinn Hughes, the Kellen Cars uh, of the past, or the Miro Heiskins, for example, or the Rosmus Dalian. I feel like Rome is more of that bulky guy uh, that's going to look great on an advanced uh, statistics chart, uh, but won't necessarily fill up uh, the points necessarily. Although the Canadians are trying on the second power play away, which is intriguing to me because he is quite good at getting the puck off his stick and causing havoc in front of the net. I definitely think he has the potential. It's going to be, I think, probably a bit of an adjustment for him. But uh, do you think, I mean, so you say he'll be in the top four by the end of the season. Looks right now, uh, he's on the third pairing at practice, uh, at least yesterday, I believe, with uh, with Brett Kulak. Uh, do you think that's where he's going to start the season, on the third pairing? And do you see him, he's sort of been switching between left and right. He's a left-handed defenseman. Where do you think he'll play? Do you think he'll be on the left or right? Well, um, I don't think it's going to be an issue for, for, for Alexander. I, if, if you look at the way he played in the KHL, he was often used left and, and right, depending on what the coach needed. Uh, and he gladly did so. And, and really, um, usually when we look at uh, you know wanting to have players play on the, the side that they shoot on, it's to help in the transition games, to help make the players move up the ice faster and not get caught off the backhand. That extra second is always an extra second where the, the opposition can get to you faster. Now, with Romanov, he's able, I saw this uh, first time I actually saw him playing World Junior A. He's able to receive pucks and move at the same time in transition on his backhand and essentially put it back to his forehand and go up the ice in one motion. So this is an individual who is not hampered by this issue. Um, we've seen other defensemen in, in the past kind of play on their offsides, like uh, E.J. Brody, which the Canadian fans are going to learn all about when they play Toronto times a year. Uh, he's another guy who lefty that likes to play on the right. Uh, Petrangelo, who's a righty that likes to play on the left, did the exact same thing. So I feel like wherever Romanov is going to play, I don't think it's going to be an issue, but I think it is going to be on the third pair to start. But I think that once, you know, injuries are going to happen, we don't know what's going to happen with COVID. Uh, you know, unable to play or unfit to play labels are going to be thrown around pretty often. So it's going to be interesting to see if and when injuries do have happen how high up the lineup Claude Julien is going to be willing to put a guy like Romanov. Because now you have a Suzuki, you have a Kakaniemi, you have Jake Evans as a fourth-line uh, center as well. Romanov, Mete, uh, potentially a Caden Gooley getting a cup of coffee if possible. Like There's a lot of young players around this lineup, and it's supposed to be a competitive lineup. So it's encouraging because there's always room for growth now. 
And uh, I think that's a good point. I mean, there, there's definitely a lot of competition, especially with the additions of, uh, well, maybe not necessarily. Well, there are a lot of defensemen, definitely. But uh, obviously, you know, there's a lot of uh, another injection of competition in the forwards group as well with uh, the addition of Corey Perry and Michael Froelich recently. Uh, I think a lot of one one prospect that a lot of people have questions about, of course, is Brian Paling, you know, being sort of left off the team uh, during the playoffs. What do you expect from Ryan Paling? Where is is he going to be playing with the Canadians and Laval Taxi Squad? What do you think? Um, it's looking more and more like he's going to be on the Taxi Squad because he's on he's on the fifth line, quote unquote, right now. He's centering that fifth line. I think that the lack of overall experience at center, as we speak, is making it so that there's a door opening for for Ryan Paling to be on the Taxi Squad. Personally, I would prefer he be the first line center at Laval. Personally, that's me. However, he has no business being at their training camp. So if the Canadians feel comfortable starting him on the taxi squad, getting him used to the tempo of the NHL, giving him a game or two to give him another taste, and then sending him down to Laval once Laval's camp is finished and he can come and slot in as their number one center, then that that can also be a strategy that makes sense. However, if they do give him those one or two games and, and, and he looks like he belongs, well, then you've got to start asking yourself questions. Do you want to get leave uh, a guy like Paling on your fourth line, uh, be it center or left wing, or do you want him to play first line in every situation in Laval uh, in a very condensed schedule in the AHL? So that, that, I'm glad I'm not making those decisions. Um, as you said, he, he wasn't allowed to play one game in the playoffs, and that was because he unfortunately didn't take the pause as seriously as, the, as guys like Kakani and Suzuki did. Um and I'm sure that, that whips his ego. I'm, I'm going to say that as an athlete, that whips your ego. Be it good or bad, love him or hate him, that gets you. And I feel like he was motivated in consequence this summer to come into camp, or this offseason, sorry, to come into camp uh, and be ready physically. Um, and frankly, like none of us really know in which shape he's in or how, how well he's moving as we speak since we don't have access. But uh, from what I understand, there's going to be a scrimmage tomorrow. So if that's televised, it's going to be very interesting to see how he's moving his feet right now. Yeah, I think I think that's a good point. You know, definitely, I'm sure that hurt his ego being left off the team uh, during the playoffs. So, you know, it's it's really up to him now to to, to hopefully he showed up in good uh, you know in good shape for for the camp here and that scrimmage. I think yeah, definitely will probably go a long way towards seeing you know is he going to be with the Canadians? Is he going to be with the practice squad or? Yeah, you know, I, 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 it probably wouldn't be a bad idea, like you said, for him to be the the top line center in the AHL either. Yeah, that that could certainly be a good uh, a good boost for his development. Work continuing to work with Joel Bouchard. Absolutely. I mean, I don't think anybody's ever worked with Joel Bouchard and come back worse for it. So no, definitely. Which is, I mean, that, that's yeah. He's such an asset to the to the Canadians. I mean, is it, isn't it just? Absolutely amazing to finally have confidence in your minor league system. Oh, I, I mean, I can't believe we went how four, five, maybe even six seasons with Sylvain at five. I mean, it's six, it, yeah, unfortunately. Oh, it, I mean, huge, huge difference, and you know, I, I, it's a world of difference for sure. I mean, and you see it in the returns the Canadians are getting with their prospects. Anytime they call someone up, it's it's just you know, it, it's two different worlds. So obviously, a lot of the Canadians' prospects. Uh, I mean, some of them are playing, some of them aren't. Obviously, with the COVID situation, as far as the Canadian prospects that are playing right now, who are some of the guys that are exciting you that that we should be looking out for? Uh, well, he was a little. He's been injured 
Uh, he uh, injured his knee in a kind of a freak accident, but he started practicing again. Uh, obviously, Matthias Norlander is is kind of the guy that everyone wants to keep an eye out for because he's a, he's that flashy offensive defenseman capable of skating his way out of issues and creating offense. Uh, definitely got to keep an eye out on. Uh, he should be back uh, playing in the uh, Swedish Hockey League within the week from what we're being told. So that's definitely a guy to keep an eye out on because, uh, you know, we talk about Montreal's defense. Matthias Merlander is a guy that can also play left and right. So with the Canadians drafting Caden Gooley, it's looking more and more like Matthias Norlander is going to be lining up on the right side for Montreal long term. Uh, potential replacement for Jeff Petrie, for example, when that contract comes to an end. So, very interesting player to look at. Um, there's not that many, unfortunately, that are playing right now. I know that Jesse Lohan is still playing uh, in Finland. Um, now, obviously, it's not a very exciting uh, player to watch right now because Jesse Lohan is playing well, but he's playing not to get injured. He's just trying to keep his tempo up so he can be ready for Laval's camp. Um, but he's definitely a player that's bulked up, that's 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 gotten faster, whose shot has gotten much more precise. Uh, so I'm very much looking to see him in a top six role uh, for the Laval Rocket this upcoming season. Definitely. I mean, Yolonen, uh, certainly, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how he adjusts to uh, to the North American game coming over for La- uh, with Laval. Excited to see, but definitely, I mean, he's playing now. So, you know, hopefully he'll be able to hit the ground running right off the bat for Laval. Um, any, uh, well, before I let you go, Marco, uh, any other prospects or anything else uh, you'd like uh, like to talk about? Well, I, I mean, there is one individual in question uh, that I feel has gone under the radar for the Canadians community, and that would be Sean Farrell. Um, for those that don't know, Sean Farrell was a fourth-round pick for the Montreal Canadiens in the 2020 draft. Um, that was the pick that they got from Tampa Bay for swapping fourth, uh, second round picks uh, this year for next year. So Sean Farrell has been on fire uh, in his uh, in his season so far with the USHL. Uh, he was supposed to go to um, Harvard, but they canceled the season. So he's back in Chicago and just lighting it up, uh, almost two points per game at this point. Um, just a guy to keep an eye on. I know we've been talking a lot about you know these these higher picks, first round picks, second round picks. Uh, but a lot of people are getting a, a Brendan Gallagher kind of vibe from this guy, a smaller player that fell due to size, uh, but it's you know slowly but surely proving people uh, that they, they made a mistake in, in passing on him. So his season is still ongoing in the USHL, and he's been doing nothing but good things and, and leading by example. And I think that it's someone that if you guys ever feel like looking up, uh, will leave you very surprised. Yeah, definitely. He he has certainly been on fire. Were you a little surprised that he didn't make the U.S. U.S. team? No, no, no. Unfortunately, uh, the U.S. was stacked mm-hmm. uh, this year on the wings. Uh, not so much at center, but on the wings. Uh, Brendan Brisson, who's the center, was playing wing. Uh, Bordelot was out because of uh, because of COVID. So I, I can understand. There's also Luke Tuck that'll be in that discussion next year as well. Um, so yeah, I, I expect Pharrell based on how he's played this year, uh, to have a significant crack at the roster next year. Same thing with Tuck. Do you think he'll, he could uh, potentially be on the roster as well? I would hope, but uh, again, I haven't seen anything from Tuck since March 2020. Uh, he's slated to play next week uh, for Boston, uh, so it's going to be the first time I get to see him in, in almost a year. It's going to be interesting to see uh, how his game evolves since then. If it's evolved at all, I guess from there, you know, with enough games in hand, 
uh, I'll be able to inform a more developed analysis. But definitely the potential to be on the bottom six of, 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 a, of an American team in 2021, or sorry, the 2022 tournament. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, Marco. We definitely, we really appreciate it. Uh, be sure to follow Marco D'Amico on Twitter at the hockey expert and check out uh, scrimmageandstats.com. Uh, do you have any upcoming articles or anything that you're going to uh, be posting? Uh, we'll probably do like a world junior championship recap, but uh, we talked, <laughs> I pretty much talked about most of the points I want to talk about with you guys. So uh, you guys got a sneak preview. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, Marco. Really appreciate it.